0: Good morning, church. Good morning. A couple of important things. Number one, how about Jake and Zoe on that song? Can you believe that? Man. You know, what's even more amazing is before I came, they didn't know how to do any of that. I put that in there for them. Great, great kids. Um, and that's totally not true as far as me <laughs> providing anything for them. Tyler Parker, as Claudette mentioned, is doing sound today, he's in middle school, and he's running everything up there, and so I know we already mentioned it once, but Tyler, you're doing an awesome job. Thank you for serving, and do all your homework, okay? Um, One birthday was mentioned, but we have to mention one that's coming on Friday. Eileen Bonner turns 95 on Friday. She's sitting there in the back with her husband, John, so we wish you an early happy birthday as well, Eileen. Well, unfortunately, it has been yet another heartbreaking week in our world. Between hurricanes and earthquakes that are devastating so many people, of course you know what's happening in Puerto Rico and Mexico, and it's just heartbreaking to see one thing after another. It's painful to see people separated from each other painful to see homes get washed away. It's painful to see schools collapse with children inside of them. And even though these events all seem far away, it's additionally painful to each of us because all of these things remind us of our own fragility. I mean, we realize it could be any of us that faces something like this, and that leaves us feeling helpless and, and, a, and a little bit out of control, and that's scary as well. And anytime I see a news story like these disasters, I'm reminded of a conversation Jesus has in Luke chapter 13, where he's approached with some information about a massacre of Galilean men at the hands of Pontius Pilate. And Jesus is quick to make it known that this is not an act of divine punishment. He brings up another recent tragedy that had gone on. A tower in Jerusalem had fallen, and 18 men had died, and Jesus makes it clear this is not divine action. These are unfortunate deaths that could happen to anybody. And I appreciate those words. But nonetheless, we we are heartbroken this week to know of all these things. And so how do we respond as representatives of a loving God to a broken world that's in pain? I don't think there's an easy answer to that. But we make sure we know that we absolutely should be affected when we hear these things, no matter how near or far it is. And we offer to mourn together, and we seek to help where we can. And we make sure to hold tight and love strongly those around us for as long or as short as we can. And of course, finally, we continue praying all the time for those who have been affected. Well, it was my third month on the job. It was my first church I'd ever worked at. I was the new youth pastor there. And this church that I'd been hired at was in the midst of a building project. And so I found myself one Sunday at the church with about 30 other members, all of which had some kind of special skill and job for that day. There were electricians busy setting up wires. Some were nailing in two-by-fours or installing insulation. Others had expertise in sprinkler systems or landscaping. Everybody had a skill, except me. I didn't have any skill. I I didn't have a job. I didn't know what to do. Now, on the one hand, I didn't want to get in the way. But on the other hand, I wanted to make a good impression. You know, I was new to this church. And so I scanned the area, the perimeter, to find a job I could undertake. And then I saw it. I knew that there were new plants coming in to be planted, and so the old ones had to be taken out. And I was looking at the biggest, ugliest plant you could imagine. That was it. That would be my job. Mono e mono. Me and that guy, he was done for. So I looked around, and I found a pickaxe, and I picked it up. Then I found a smaller pickaxe and I picked that one up (laughs) and I approached that plant and I went at it. I said, let's go, buddy. Whack! Right at the base. It felt kind of good, kind of liberating. Whack! I paused to make sure my new church members noticed what I was doing. Whack! Again, until finally, I knew that with one more, it'd be over. And that the sound of those ripping roots would sound like screams for mercy. (laughs) I reared back I dropped the hammer, oh, ting, (laughs) ting, not exactly what I wanted to hear, and then, like a rocket ship blasting off into space, water shot up into the sky, (laughs) out of the pipe I had just cracked. I couldn't believe what I had done. Immediately, panic ensued. Men started shouting, Turn off the water! My boss started shouting, Grab buckets! Grab buckets! Women were holding their crying babies. It was chaos. And there I stood, frozen, with my tiny pickaxe. I'm the new youth pastor. (laughs) Well, we got the water off. We fixed the pipe. News coverage was minimal. But not my favorite day interestingly enough five years later I would come to the Cala church they would show me this big beautiful new youth room and they said we just finished the building project that's when I knew we were meant for each other (laughs) I'll be honest with you building structures is not really my thing We continue our study in Psalms today with Psalm 127. Now, last Sabbath, Pastor John went through the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. It's got a whopping 176 verses in it. The Psalm we're doing today has five. That's why he's the senior pastor, okay? But with only five verses, it still provides plenty of nourishment for us to take in. It actually begins with a verse on building... And goes from there. So let's read it here. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now when I read this psalm, it had me shouting amen at some parts and uh, what? At others. So let's look at it together, okay? First of all, who wrote this thing? Did you catch it? Solomon. Now, of 150 psalms, how many do we believe Solomon wrote? Maybe two. Some credit him with writing Psalm 72, and then there's this one, 127. So what do we know about King Solomon? Well, for one, obviously, he was a king, right? He's lived a life of royalty, of leadership, of opulence, and that was pretty inevitable as the son of the great King David we also know Solomon was instrumental in the building of the first temple which is often called Solomon's temple we know Solomon was approached by God in a dream and essentially granted one wish and Solomon asks for discernment which the Lord appreciates he finds favor in he makes him the wisest man to ever live and yet even with all that wisdom he couldn't totally stay out of trouble could he? In fact, he still did not know how to say no to a woman, and so he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, diplomacy, absolutely, but greed as well. And so Solomon is an accomplished yet imperfect man who has lived a long, full life, and it has left him tired and reflective, which often comes across in his writings as blunt or terse. And that reminds us of one more thing we know about this guy. His memoirs, of course, found throughout the Proverbs and in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. I communed with my heart, saying, Look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge, increases sorrow. Don't you just feel uplifted when you read that, right? All that was missing was, and get off my lawn, right? But what's interesting is that when we read through Ecclesiastes, it actually takes the reader through a a series of highs and lows. It's like a journey, and when we get to the very end, we find ourselves singing a bit of a different tune than in the beginning. At the end of chapter 12, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. After all he's experienced, Solomon concludes that our efforts and our strivings are left unfulfilled, if not founded, upon the one who has given us life in the first place. So this is the man who has written our psalm, which we could consider a condensed remix of Ecclesiastes put to music. See if this sounds familiar to what we just read. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. I recall being in the audience one evening for my former youth group's performance of Handel's Messiah, a beautiful piece. But I made it my mission that day to get some smiles out of the kids as they sang on stage. And so as I sat in my pew, I would make funny faces at them. I pulled a piece of pizza out from under and started eating it, you know, trying to be a good influence. And uh, when they reached the pinnacle of the piece, the hallelujah chorus, with everybody standing up, I initially kept to my task sang along with the song, maybe gave them a funny look, until I paused, and I listened for a moment at what I was hearing, and I received incredible comfort suddenly in these instruments, in the sounds of voices singing King of Kings and Lord of Lords, echoing throughout a church on a Friday night. I decided to close my eyes And listen, and suddenly found myself standing in heaven surrounded by millions, seeing their adoration to Jesus nearly brought tears to my eyes. And my only regret was that I had not paused sooner to focus upon how God was in the music. This is the wake up call Solomon is trying to elicit. Out of us. There is beauty going on all around us. Life is happening. Work is progressing. Families are growing. Goals are being met. All of this is going on. But are we experiencing it to the fullest by experiencing it with God? Solomon uses the analogy of building a house, and I've shared that my only connection with that is a busted water pipe, but I build in other ways. In fact, I'm building all the time. I aim to build strong relationships. I seek to build up my character. I desire to build up a life for myself. And so Psalm 127 leaves me asking myself the question, do I build by myself? Or will I allow my creator to continue creating within me? And in order to answer that question, once again, I need to stop. Slow down, maybe close my eyes one more time, and reflect. And here are four questions I like to reflect upon to see if I am building my life upon God. Number one, what am I doing in my life right now that requires faith? You see, when I find myself using faith as simply a synonym for belief, I have faith. I'm a man of faith. What that often does is it precludes me from using that faith and turning it into action. And so I like to ask myself, what am I doing in my life that is truly done out of faith in a loving God? And frankly, there have been times where I haven't had an answer to that question. I was following God and yet not allowing his love to impact my life at all. You know what Solomon would call that? Vanity. Number two, what discomfort am I allowing myself to experience so that I can be used by God? Now, this is not a statement of religious masochism, okay? This is a statement of growth. And growth, you guys, typically hurts a little bit. It's not hard for me to remember the feeling of growing pains in my knees and in my heels when I was 12 years old, it's probably the same for you. And it's not hard for me to remember that my dimensions as a middle schooler, my height, which didn't really go with my weight, which really didn't go with my foot size, was pretty awkward. But personal growth often is at first. But we continue to allow it to happen because God calls himself the potter and he calls me and you his clay. And so I asked myself, am I allowing God to mold and shape me as uncomfortable as that may be? I recall returning from a month-long mission trip when I was 19 years old and being inspired to take steps forward in my faith-growing process. And I thought about it, and I realized that I had lived in the same home nearly all my life, but I hardly knew any of my neighbors. And so I decided, as petrifying as it would be, that I was going to go around and introduce myself to my neighbors and also let them know if they ever wanted to study the Bible together, I would love to do that with them. So I typed up a little note, put my picture on the bottom. We actually found a, a PDF of it. And I went around door to door, introducing myself, letting them know I'm sorry I hadn't done it sooner, and letting them know if they wanted to have Bible study to just send me an email. So I did it. Scared out of my wits. But you know what I found out? I had some really awesome neighbors who were so kind and receptive to this kid at their door. And they took my invitation for Bible studies. And do you know how many Bible study requests I got in the next week alone? Zero. (laughs) But relationships started to be built and personal growth took place. Number three, how have I grown more like Jesus in the past 12 months? I simply like to stop and think about whether my reading, my praying, my listening, my church going is helping shape me into somebody who's more like Jesus or not. Am I more disciplined? More loving? More gracious to those I disagree with? More moved with compassion by those who are hurting? Now I need to be specific when I ask myself this, you see, because it'd be real easy for me to say, am I more forgiving in the last year Yeah, I kind of feel like I'm a better forgiver. But it'd be another thing for me to stop and say, let's see if I can make a list of how many people I've been willing to forgive this year. Specific. Now, this is one of the reasons I love reading the Gospels again and again and again, because we find new things out about Jesus all the time. And and there's a book I love. It's called Why Jesus by Will Willimon. And it challenged me to see Jesus in new ways. And I I love that too, because when I learn new things about Jesus... It challenges me to apply it in new ways in my life. Finally, number four. How have I responded to difficult circumstances in my life and how have I responded to difficult people in my life? Frankly, the previous three questions could probably all be answered with just this one. During difficult moments, how do I respond? And I'd like to share something briefly with you guys that I'm a little bit hesitant to because it comes with a, a certain amount of shame on my part. But I, I truly believe in being real and vulnerable with the church family. And about a year ago, I was driving on the freeway and I was late to something. I don't remember what, but I know it was important because I was, I was stressing out about it. And as I'm going along, the worst possible thing happens. The freeway comes to a stop. And so now, I mean, you know that feeling, right? It's just the last possible thing. What are the chances, right? Now, unfortunately for me, traffic didn't just slow down or stop momentarily. I think we were dead stopped for maybe a minute, maybe two, which feels like an eternity. And when we started moving again, it was only at a slow dragging pace. So my frustration was up to my ears at this point. Well, eventually we began moving again at a normal pace. And so I began to look around at what was it that caused this traffic jam that is so strongly impinged upon my personal needs. But I saw nothing. And so for a brief moment, I remember feelings of anger rising within me that there was no accident to explain for the inconvenience that had been placed upon me. And so in that moment of frustration, my response was to put my needs at the top and the health and well-being of others below. And when I thought about that, I realized that my character needed some serious rebuilding. And how have we responded to difficult people in our lives? I encourage you guys to ask yourself this one as well. Writer Anne Lamott phrases it in another way. She says, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. Right to the core. So how have we responded to people that we've disagreed with? What am I doing in my life right now that requires faith? What discomfort am I allowing myself to experience so that I can be used by God? How have I grown more like Jesus in the past 12 months? And how have I responded to difficult circumstances and people in my life? Unless the Lord builds the house, the builder labors in vain. And I'd like to wrap this thing up by looking at the second half of this psalm. Solomon seems to make kind of an abrupt shift when he begins in verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now, there is actually credible scholarship that attests to the unity of the entire psalm, such as how God gives value in the beginning and reward in the back half, or about a wordplay that Solomon is doing here between builder, Bonai, and sons, Bonim. and, And I think all of that is legitimate, and you can study it, and I believe there's good reason to believe in the unity of this psalm that has simply been a little bit lost in translation. But for our purposes today, and with the audible rumbles of your stomachs telling me it's almost lunchtime, let's finish this off by considering King Solomon's reminder of the blessing of children. Now, you guys know that in biblical times, becoming a parent, whether it be for the first time or the 10th, was considered God's greatest sign of provision in your life. And for many today, it may still be the same, and that's wonderful. But I want to make sure every adult here knows that All of us, all of us should seek to be parents in some way or another. I think about my youth. I would not have made it had many people not been willing to be parents to me. And here in this church, in your church, you've been given the blessing of many children, youth, and young adults. Solomon would call that a reward. And while the financial and communal commitment of this family to youth and children is incredible and and truly astounding, it's no good for us to read a Bible passage, say, yeah, got that down, pat yourself on the back and go on to Psalm 128, right? So maybe Psalm 127 can be a statement, a reminder to us, a challenge even, to take the next step. To take a step out in faith, to grow a little bit by becoming uncomfortable, to maybe even look a little bit more like Jesus by connecting personally with some of these young people, by finding out their names, by asking them about school or a mission trip, by attending their games or their concerts, by sitting with them at potluck. Now, don't get me wrong. I know how intimidating a table of teenagers can be. They may not realize it, but they're intimidating, right? I mean, I I get intimidated by these guys still. But I hope you know that even just a simple sentence of, my name is Aaron, and as part of your church family, I just want to let you know I'm so glad you're here and that if there's ever anything you need, I'm here for you. Even just that could make a world of difference in the spiritual experience of a young person. And you will find out that if you undertake a challenge like that, they will grow from it and you will grow from it. I'd like to close today with a short video.
1: power, the power to lift spirits. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. It is every kid's worst nightmare, and six-year-old Jaden Hayes has lived it twice. First, he lost his dad when he was four. Then last month, his mom died unexpectedly in her sleep.
2: I tried and I tried. I tried to get her away. Couldn't.
1: Jaden is understandably heartbroken.
2: Anybody can die. Just anybody.
1: But there's another side to his grief, a side he first made public a few weeks ago when he told his aunt and now guardian, Barbara DeCola, that he was sick and tired of seeing everyone sad all the time. And he had a plan to fix it. And That was the beginning of it. That's where the adventure began. (laughs) Jaden asked his Aunt Barbara to buy a bunch of little toys and bring them here to downtown Savannah, Georgia, near where he lives.
2: Thank you, sweetie. So he could that. You want me to have it?
1: Give them away.
2: Thank you, man.
1: What is it you're doing?
2: Well, I'm trying to make people smile. Rubber duckies, dinosaurs.
1: Because those are the things that make people smile. Yeah. And what happens to their face? Really? Really.
2: See that right there?
1: Jaden targets people who aren't already smiling and then turns their day around. You made me smile. He's gone out on four different occasions now and he's always successful.
2: It's to make you smile.
1: Even if sometimes he doesn't get exactly the reaction he was hoping for. It is just so overwhelming to some people that a 6-year-old orphan would give away a toy expecting nothing in return except a smile. Oh. Of course, he is paid handsomely in hugs. And his aunt says these reactions have done wonders for Jaden. It's like sheer joy came out of this child. And the more people that he made smile, the more this light show. Jaden says that's mostly true. But I'm still
2: sad that my mom died.
1: I bet you are. This is by no means a fix. But in the smiles he's made so far, nearly five hundred at last count, Jaden has clearly found a purpose.
2: I'm counting on it to beat 33,000. 33,000? That's a pretty big goal. Mm -hmm.
1: You think he can make that
2: goal? Uh I think I can.
1: I think he just did. Steve Hartman on the road in Savannah, Georgia. And that's the CBS Evening.
0: What am I doing in my life right now that requires faith? What discomfort am I allowing myself to experience so that I can be used by God? How have I grown more like Jesus in the past 12 months? And how have I responded to difficult circumstances and people in my life? Oh, and children are a blessing from the Lord.
2: So this last song reminds us of what Jesus did for us and where we need to stay near the cross. Soul shall find rest beyond the And now just our voices.
0: honesty we are heartbroken and confused by the tragedies we're seeing so often now and it leaves us Lord um, oftentimes without words or answers but God we read about a provider who's able to protect, who's able to comfort, who's able to rescue and so our prayer Lord is that you will provide strength comfort, closeness, and rescuing to so many who have been affected. And God, in our lives here, we pray together now, hand in hand, that we may build alongside you, that it may not be in vain because we go with you as we seek to grow in the likeness of Jesus. Please use us, God, to your glory, to impact this world, and to accurately represent a loving God. We pray this together in Jesus' name, amen.